0: Hi, I'm Charlotte Marchand, digital intern based at Bodmin Keep Army Museum.
1: And I'm Joseph Quinn, digital intern at Helston's Museum of Cornish Life. Over the coming months, myself and Charlotte will be discussing how we are working together to explore the diverse aspects of life in Cornwall during the Second World War, and to connect these stories to what's happening in people's lives today.
0: Just as we did for our last BBC upload, we're going to share with you some of the stories we have gathered. Stories of people. Soldiers and civilians, locals and foreigners, enemies and friends. The stories of Cornwall during the Second World War. And in today's episode, we'll be sharing two very special stories. Last month, I told the story of Olive Barnekert, a nurse who treated injured soldiers at Bodmin St. Lawrence's Hospital during the war. And this month, in keeping with our military theme and collections at Bodmin Keep, I've chosen to share the wartime story of Arthur Frederick Cotton Kitchen. During the Second World War, Kitchen belonged to the 5th Battalion of the Duke of Cornwall's Light Infantry and was awarded the rank of Acting Major. So
1: why was Major Kitchen's wartime career so exemplary?
0: Well, good question, Joe. Um, We have donated to us and stored in our archives at Bodmin Keep a variety of Kitchen's official documents, photographs, as well as items such as his lucky black cat. So... Kitchen's tiny black cat was kept safely in his pocket for the duration of the war and is now on display in our museum. But what i found to be possibly the most interesting artifact that I've come across um, is the copy of Kitchen's official distinguished service order or in abbreviated terms DSO. This military decoration typically awarded for distinguished service by officers of the armed forces during wartime usually in actual combat serving under fire explicitly details four of Kitchen's key contributions to the war effort and I thought this would be a really great item to share with you today.
1: So Kitchen was attached to the 5th Battalion of the DCLI, so where did they go? I mean where did this battalion end up and what kind of a battalion was this?
0: So the 5th were a very special battalion um, because they were a volunteer battalion, part of the Territorial Force, a part-time volunteer component of the British Army. So, the outbreak of war saw the 5th Battalion located in East Cornwall with its partner, Battalion the 4th, stationed in the west of the county. Over the next five years, both battalions were to undergo similar experiences of training, guard duties, anti invasion defence, and a mobile counter attack role. But unlike the 4th, whom were never intended to be a fighting force, the 5th Battalion, so Kitchens Battalion, landed in Normandy on June the 22nd, 1944. And despite being a volunteer battalion, took part in some of the conflict's bloodiest battles. So the unit saw its first action on June the 27th at show, where the fighting quality of the battalion was demonstrated, with the destruction of five German tanks who had attacked battalion headquarters. During this battle, sadly, 20 men were killed, including the commanding officer, Lieutenant Colonel Atherton. The first battle set the standard for the remainder of the campaign. The fifth showed courage and professionalism in all its encounters. Sadly, this meant the loss of many good men. The battle for Hill 112 during July 10th and 11th was particularly bad in which a mere 18 days after setting foot in Normandy, it suffered so many casualties it was feared the battalion would be broken up. However, in one of those remarkable instances of war, the 4th Battalion, in its final act before being disbanded at home, sent a draft of 100 mainly Cornishmen to the 5th, ensuring it retained its unique identity for a little longer. The battalion fought until the end on German soil with victory won and the task of rebuilding and reconciliation ahead.
1: So it's likely that uh, Kitchen would have been involved in many of these very fierce battles. I wonder what was his DSO awarded for and does it reference a specific battle?
0: Yes, so Kitchen was awarded his Distinguished Service Order on the 24th of January 1946 and the document refers specifically to four battles where he was described by a senior officer as being exceptional and having greatly distinguished himself by his gallantry and leadership throughout the whole campaign in which he was wounded 3 times going on to say that throughout the whole campaign kitchen's courage coolness and example have been of the highest order and an inspiration to all ranks the four battles that kitchen's dso references are hovenwood in late november 1944 matterborn in early february 1945 the Goch escarpment part of Operation Veritable in mid-February 1945 as well as the Rhine crossing in late March
1: 1945. So taken from his uh, DSO record um, would you be able to describe kitchen service in one of these battles?
0: Yep yeah, sure so here is a description of kitchen service from Hovenwood on the 22nd and 23rd of November 1944 it reads Major Kitchen's company attacking the neck of the wood came under a hail of machine gun and mortar fire from the strongly posted enemy the whole company were pinned to the ground Major Kitchen calmly moved about reorganizing his company under the heaviest fire and though his company was sadly depleted They succeeded in knocking out a number of enemy posts and by doing so cleared the neck of the wood of the enemy and subdued by fire the posts which still held out. This allowed a reserve company to come up a little to the right of C Company and to move on to capture Hoven Village.
1: Right. Uh, It sounds like Kitchen's DSO was uh, very well deserved. Sounds like he had a key role in that, uh, that engagement
0: yeah and obviously the other three battles as well that are listed on his distinguished service order Um, you can't just can't really imagine it can you no but of course there were many other stories of bravery and of interest not just occurring in battle on foreign soil which kind of leads me on to your story joe what will you be sharing with us today
1: well i'm uh, discussing the story of a lady called mary Loveday beasley whose family home was in Cornwall and who spent part of her teenage years in Cornwall during the Second World War.
0: Okay, so why is Mary's story significant?
1: Well, Mary was born in Esher in Surrey in 1925. Uh, Her maiden name um, is Rawlings, by the way, and she was the daughter of a very famous Royal Navy officer, Admiral Sir Bernard Rawlings. He was a very well-known and successful Cornish-born career officer in the Royal Navy, born in St. Earth and actually died in Bodmin in the 1960s. Uh, So he was actually um, a Cornish native. And uh, he fought in both the First and the Second World Wars and became second-in-command or vice-admiral of the British Pacific Fleet by the close of the Second World War. And he served as a British sailor his entire life. Mary's story is significant because she moved around the world a little bit because of her father's naval career. He loved the Navy, loved his job, thought it was very important and was very passionate about it. She described him as a strong personality, knowledgeable, cultured and honourable. In fact, she spent part of her childhood in Japan as a result of the fact that her father moved around and family moved around quite a bit. So when she was 10 years old, uh, she moved with her family to Tokyo, where her father served as the British Naval Attaché between 1935 and 1938. And while in Tokyo, her father was in regular contact with the Japanese naval staff, and he actually would have known Admiral Yamamoto personally. Rawlings was extremely unhappy about Japanese conduct in Manchuria and China, and he himself was personally very alarmed by the situation in both East Asia and Europe. And he feared, he genuinely feared that there would be war one day between Japan and Britain. Mary described the two years that she spent living in a district called Kankura outside Tokyo. And there she and her brother were educated by an English governess and the children of very powerful and influential Japanese used to take their lessons in English with uh, this particular governess. She also described life among the staff of the foreign embassies in Tokyo and how they used to holiday at a special resort near Nikko, which was attended by the staffs of all the Tokyo embassies and their families. Now, Admiral Rawlings in his time in Tokyo is briefly depicted at the beginning of the 2019 Hollywood movie, uh, Midway, which came out last year.
0: Oh, I love that film. I remember mm. watching it at the cinema. <laughs> Those are the days. Anyway, um, yes. what was Mary's connection to Cornwall during the Second World War? So uh, in
1: 1936, Mary's parents bought a house on the edge of Bodmin Moor. And the house was an old country farmhouse. It's very clear that her father's Cornish origins and upbringing was a very strong factor in the decision of the family to settle there. She described her childhood there in Bodmin Moor as peaceful and idyllic and uh, on the whole, a quiet country life. In 1938, she was sent back to Britain from Japan to attend boarding school at Downhouse in Berkshire. She remembered the 1939 declaration of war and the broadcast by Chamberlain announcing that Britain was at war with Germany, and she would have been 12 at the time. The family uh, were then back in Cornwall with their parents having returned home to Britain from Japan. She remembered family members turning up upon the declaration of war at their home in Bodmin Moor, uh, fleeing London to take refuge. And in the early years of the war, the family carried on with life in the Cornish countryside and slowly adapted to the new wartime conditions. Her father was then posted to a Royal Navy squadron in the Atlantic, and he would see service in the Norway campaign in 1940. Meanwhile, her mother back home took on any kind of local war work she could find, and she was very active in helping to look after the land girls in the local women's land army.
0: Interesting. Um, so what was family life like for the Rawlings?
1: Well, like most families in the countryside, the Rawlings helped to do many of the things that country families were expected to do during wartime. They helped grow their own vegetables and tended to all the animals, the chickens, the ducks, the pigs. And rationing was something that the family had to contend with. But it was important for the family to work hard to produce food, not only for themselves, but for the community. Their family accommodated members of the extended family at routine periods throughout the war. Many of their cousins from Kent and from other places were sent to stay with them when the blitz intensified in the Southeast of England. The Family also took in child evacuees, but the Rawlings household acted as what Mary described as a staging house for the little boys and girls that arrived from London in the area before they were then sent on to more permanent billets. So that adds something to our knowledge of how the process of receiving accommodating evacuees worked
0: yeah definitely I've actually um, never heard of the term staging house before so Mm -hmm. interesting to me you said Mary lived on Bodmin Moor does she have any recollection of the bombing of Bodmin
1: yes when asked by her interviewer Conrad Wood who interviewed her for the imperial war museum in 1999 and asked her if she had experienced uh, much bombing or air attacks, Mary stated that relatively few such incidents occurred in her area of Cornwall. However, she did recall the air attack on Bodmin on the 7th of August, 1942. And she stated that the town was not only bombed, but it was also strafed or machine gunned by Luftwaffe planes. And she was actually in a car on the main street of Bodmin when it was machine gunned by a passing German aircraft. Although no one was hurt, Mary said that the feeling of been machine gunned was extraordinarily frightening. She stated, however, that the planes turned around and bombed the gas works and the railway station, which killed a family of eight people, the sergeants, and wounded about 18 others. Now, that wasn't the only encounter that Mary had with German aircraft. One day, Mary was in the kitchen of her house in Bodmin Moor, and she heard a plane flying very low outside. Assuming it to be an RAF fighter plane, she went out to wave because she says in those days one always waved at the RAF. She said he was so low over the house that she could actually see the pilot turning his head to look down and see her waving and it was at that moment that she realized that he was actually German. This German fighter plane was probably a twin-engined ME110 and would have had the range to reach Cornwall from France. Mary said that this fighter plane zipped up the drive and up the country lane and machine gunned a land girl who was bicycling at the top of the lane. Now, although the land girl was not killed, this experience brings home the violence of war, and certainly it very much brought it home for Mary. Uh, Later in the war, uh, Mary witnessed the bombing of Plymouth, and she said that when Plymouth was bombed, the family could see the whole city burning in the distance from the top of Bodmin Moor and that there was this great glow in the sky. The next day, the Rawlings and many local people went to Plymouth to help with the relief of the city, working in the canteens. She said that everybody pitched in, and I quote, to help the wretched people who had been bombed. It wasn't just the docks that were bombed, the whole city was bombed, and there were so many people who had been killed.
0: Wow, that's a very strong testimony there, Joe. Um Are there any more memorable quotes from Mary?
1: well there's one quote from mary which really sticks out for me and it's a really short one and it's this she said the war came home and that really resonated with me it struck with me and viewed the story that i've just told you i think it's a really good way of summing up the cornish experience of the war particularly as mary witnessed it
0: yeah and i'd um, have to agree with that whether it's in a battle in germany france or holland or the Blitz in Bodmin. Cornwall and its people did not escape the horror of war, regardless of what anybody else thinks or may have to say.
1: Yeah, there's this impression that Cornwall is out of the way, the Cornish people didn't experience the war the same way people in the east of the country did or in the north, and it's absolutely not true. The war, it didn't matter whether you're a Cornish person serving abroad or whether you're based at home, The war really did come home, people were affected by the war um, and I suppose the Cornish experience of the war really brings home the violence that people experience, the everyday violence and I suppose the maelstrom of war, whether it's at home or abroad.
0: Yeah, and I think that's um, highlighted through the contrast of our two stories. Um, Yeah, so we hope you have enjoyed the stories we have shared with you today. And we look forward to sharing with you many more over the coming months.
1: Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.